A Brush With is sponsored by Bloomberg Connects, the arts and culture app. Created by Bloomberg Philanthropies, Bloomberg Connects lets you access museums, galleries and cultural spaces around the world on demand. Download the app to access digital guides and explore a variety of content. Hello, I'm Ben Luke and welcome to a new series of A Brush With, the podcast from the art newspaper in which I talk to artists about their influences from writers to musicians, filmmakers and of course other artists and the cultural experiences that have shaped their lives and work. And in this episode, it's A Brush With, Wilhelm Sasnell, who has made one of the most significant contributions to painting in the 21st century. Wilhelm works with photographic imagery drawn from an array of sources, including newspapers, film, music videos, album covers, graphic novels, historic art and, crucially, his own photographs, including those taken on his smartphone of his family. He also makes films, both in collaboration with his wife Anka and on his own, and the result is a body of work that engages profoundly with contemporary life and the saturation of images that accompanies it. It's as if Wilhelm is thinking through his art, considering traumatic histories that are both universal and specific to his native Poland, reflecting on contemporary geopolitical issues as they manifest through the media, pondering his place as a producer of art amid the long history of his media, capturing the humdrum moments of daily life like cycling and responding to intimate moments shared with those closest to him. But he's not merely documenting his world, because in his paintings the forms from his source images can be variously mediated, veiled, abstracted or distorted through the process of making, shifting them into a space of poetic ambiguity and pronounced atmosphere, at times unsettling, at others life-affirming, but always enthralling. Wilhelm was born in 1972 in Tarnow in Poland and studied architecture at the University of Technology in the historic city of Krakow before he went to the Academy of Fine Arts there, completing his studies in 1999. He began to make an impact soon afterwards, making several of his most notable paintings within five years of graduating. Two early groups of work were made in response to the Holocaust. He wanted to address this subject partly because of the complexity of its significance in Poland, in that many Polish people were victims, but as Wilhelm has put it, many were also on the wrong side. It's a history that he said was hidden during the communist period in which he lived for the first 17 years of his life. But also, there is a tragic personal significance. His great-grandmother was killed in Auschwitz. His paintings relating to the Holocaust include five canvases made in 2001 in direct response to Maus, the Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic novel by Art Spiegelman, which reflects his father's experiences as a survivor of Auschwitz. Wilhelm stripped many of the details from the frames in in Spiegelman's comic, often leaving just the furniture and architecture it depicts, and yet they retain their haunting power. Two years later, he took on another landmark in cultural responses to the Holocaust, Shoah, the nine-hour documentary by the French filmmaker Claude Landsman. Shoah, Forest from 2003, is among Wilhelm's best-known paintings and features a scene in which small figures are towered over by the trees in the titular forest. But the canopy is depicted by loose liquid swirls and loops of thin green paint, a field of almost abstract marks. It's as if Wilhelm is both reflecting an emotional reaction to his subject matter and questioning Paint's ability to absorb and reflect the weight of it. 
While he was making these paintings addressing the gravest of human subjects, albeit via different cultural idioms, he was also making more everyday images, such as two paintings called Girl Smoking, one depicting his wife, Anka, and another featuring the alternative rock singer Peaches, one of a large number of musical references, which also includes everyone from the Beatles and Elvis to The Cure. This breadth of content has continued through his career. As he and Anka had children, Casper and Rita, they began making regular appearances in his work, and among the geopolitical subjects, Wilhelm was approached have been the fate of refugees and the rise of the far right in Europe, including in Poland, where Wilhelm has expressed his dismay at the extremist and authoritarian administration of the Law and Justice Party, which lost power in 2023. He's also increasingly responded to historic art. He made paintings responding to Georges Seurat's Bathers at Asnier, focusing on the figure of a young boy at the water's edge in Seurat's painting and the factories on the horizon, in part, he said, in response to his grandmother's recollection of the hot sun summer of 1939, before war erupted in Europe. This idea of responding to historic painting but never purely as homage or critique is consistent whenever he draws on the work of his forebears. Art, like politics and family, is another source of imagery to be mined and transformed. The ways in which Wilhelm uses his motifs is constantly surprising. He has a prominent sense of the surreal. Soon after Anka gave birth to Rita, he made paintings reflecting the period when Rita suffered from colic, in which he depicted mother and child sculptures where the mothers have been eaten away, ravaged by the experience of motherhood. In another picture, a bicycle seat hovers mysteriously over a romantic scene of a lake. Elsewhere, chunks of the painting can be almost infested with nests and bushes of swirling paint applied straight from the tube or with his hands. There's a sense of permanent experiment, of pushing his medium and himself to the limit. But it all begins with a folder on the desktop of his computer in which he stores his images. So I began our conversation by asking Wilhelm, what does he put in that folder and how does he choose what to use in his paintings? The way I look through the magazines, through the newspapers, online... Um, the main sources, I may say, it's Gazdaf Borca, this is the Polish newspaper, mm-hmm. and The Guardian. Yeah, these are the, the main sources of the, of the images from the world, from politics. Maybe not in politics, but I care about politics. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say, that I'm, uh, I want to be a world citizen. <laughs> so it, it mixed up with, uh, with a snapshot. I take just whatever situation is puzzling. My family... These are quite random, but anyway, that that's where public meets private. Right, yeah. And in terms of how you use that folder of images, will you check it sort of on a daily basis and think, or will an image nag at you and you sort of return to it somehow? Yes, sometimes, sometimes I, I know instantly I want to use that particular image. Of course, these images, there are quite many of them. After a while, I return to them to check if I want to use it. So some of them, if they're long-lasting, and I know that these are worth to work on, that's more or less how it works. Yeah, sort of it lingers in your mind somehow. Yes, yeah, 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 definitely. They linger, yeah, yes. And then, of course, when you see your works, you can see that there is a grid often beneath the image and you're quite open about, you don't try and erase that grid. It's very clear to anybody looking closely at your work that that grid is there and and the image has been transferred from an image to the painting. But it seems to me that there's a really interesting interface between 
the essential details of the image that you've taken and then what happens on the surface of that canvas? Yes, I mean, the grid is always there, but sometimes it's uh, it's just an initial point. I, usually I know what the result I, I'm, I'm looking for. But it's also quite often that I that you know that the painting is is strong enough, or that I cannot control the process of painting, so it's slipping away. Yeah, I follow painting. I don't control it, but I follow it. But the grid is there. But I mean, it's also the with the grid is quite interesting because probably if I wouldn't use the grid, it, it could turn in something that is a little bit too far from reality. It could be a caricature. Yeah. I like this reference to reality, to the photograph. Sometimes, of course, I use just a drawing as a source material, not a photograph. Nevertheless, I still use a grid for right. that. So you'd make a drawing on paper or whatever, and again, the grid will be drawn yeah. over it, and you will then transfer that to... Yeah, if, yeah. It's, if it's definitely, if I need to root it in reality, I need it. I need something precise, yeah, something recognisable. That element of the surrealistic is really notable in the current show here at Sadie Coles because there's an image, for instance, where you have what could be a landscape and effectively what you have then is a kind of series of loops made with paint. And that, it seems to me, is much more of a painting based on one of your drawings than on uh, an image that you've found or, or taken from somewhere. Yes, but the situation was, was quite real. I was on the beach where was the bush, and the bush obstacled uh, uh, the view of the ocean. So I decided to not to draw a bush, but uh, these tangles of, uh, of paint. That's the way it happens. Something floating. I also, I, I use quite often, I use, the, I use the paint squeezed directly from the tube. So that's what allows me to, to use it. I see what you mean about that sort of you slip away into the painting, that sense of once you've got the kind of basics there, the grids allowed you to get the kind of key factual information, if you like, on the surface. And then there's this sort of extraordinary, and I'm going to say it, even maybe a magical or mysterious process that happens once you're there with the paint on and, and making the work. Yeah. For me, painting is always a process of uh, unknown, not, maybe not unknown, but I don't know results and that's what I like about it that's that's always you know it's it's a sort of a conversation with a nature of this of this technique and I think also there's a sense in which one can feel that you're taking risks with the way that you're applying the paint particularly in certain areas I'm thinking of you might make very very loose marks right in the middle of a picture and you might apply colours that were really unexpected or... It's almost like you're challenging yourself through Yeah, through this is, but this is also because I, I work on, on my daily basis. I come to the studio, so it's easy to, to get bored with the job. So I want to change, to do something unexpected also for myself, not to get bored, yeah. This is, that's why I make all these things... Even though I'm, I, I feel sometimes I'm trapped, I repeat myself. So anyway, this, this is quite an uncomfortable uh, feeling that I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. That's why I'm, you know, just I'm trying different techniques. But it's always, almost always, oil on canvas. Yeah. That's why I want to say that this is, for me, this reference to the history of painting is important. That you still have the same materials, but you can express oneself in such different way. Yeah. Is it also partly about that very rigorous academic training that you had in the past. I know you've said that 
you instantly wanted to rebel against that. And it seems to me that that not wanting to become mannered is part of that rebellion against a kind of structure that, that was... Yes, I think, but you know, it's only 24 years ago when I completed my studying. So I'm, I'm free of it, of these feelings. But at the beginning when I studied... That was sort of a rebellion that I wasn't aware that it was a rebellion. I didn't want to work what professors asked me to do. I didn't want to go to museums with an old art. And it took me quite a while to get free of this feeling. In terms of the choice of subject matter, again, it seems to me that you have a really interesting relationship with genre, which of course would have been classically instilled into you in those years at the Academy in the sense that, you know, you could argue that some of your paintings are history paintings. There are certainly still lives, there are portraits, but it's never an obvious take on any of those genres, right? Yeah, yeah, this is this is the crucial change. I, I love going to museums and I like being inspired by it uh, to even even to make sort of a covers of old paintings, versions of known paintings. But of course, that's what I said. It's a little different when I completed my studying. I didn't want to paint. I didn't want to put a thick layer of paint. I tried rather to, to draw with brush, not to paint, to make it as simple as possible. I avoided color for quite a while. I used black and white or just black. Yeah, so there are more sort of a drawings. Right. You mentioned about this sort of balance between the public and the private in your works. Quite often you will go there with contemporary politics. You will deliberately address things which are happening right now or have happened in the distant past or the recent past. Is there an element of pushing yourself to go to places that some painters would avoid or would find uncomfortable in the way that we talked about formally you want to take risks and do the unexpected. Do you also want to do that in terms of the subjects you address? Yes, but for me, it's quite natural. I, even myself, I avoided the term of political artist. I always wanted to be political citizen, but not an artist. I mean, I, I can't deny I'm political. I'm also political artist, not propaganda artist, but I think of it. And also, you know, because of eight years of, of right-wing in Poland, mm. authoritarian tendencies... Everything became political. Your private life, your choices. I mean, very basic acts became political. Yeah. Fortunately, it's, it has changed it's, uh, recently. So for me, even this private and public, they overlapped because of politics. But the private aspect, it seems to me, is, is perhaps the most enduring thread there's a wonderful strain of your work, and I'd love to see a show actually of this nature, of all the paintings of your wife Anka and Casper and Rita as you've painted them through life, because it seems to me that almost that's the glue that holds it all together to a certain degree. Yeah, nice to hear that. Yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense. It's funny because Anka, sometimes she's, she's tired of it and she says that you have to be careful not to, be, not to become... A family artist, <laughs> you know, just to, yeah. But I think it's it's natural. I mean, it's these are the situations I I like to take snapshots, and then for me it's obvious that I have to paint it. There's right. another angle on this private. This is also what I'm looking at other artists' practice. That this, when I can discover something private, I like it. It's something that says about artist preferences, about artist private life, and that, that's very interesting for me. 
the way that you have painted your family, it seems to me, is really interesting in terms of its space between sort of recording and documenting your lives. But also there's a very strong feeling of memory, it seems to me, in those. So it's not just that you are recording the facts, as we said, but there is something that happens in the painting that then takes on the texture of memory somehow. Is that a sort of deliberate aim that, that somehow it's, it's fusing the image that you have in front of you with the feelings that you have? Not really. You know, it happens rather later on when I, when I think about paintings and about the, about the situations when I paint certain paintings, of course, particularly family paintings. You know, just I think, okay, it's been quite a while. The time goes on. and I mean, these are quite, I don't know if sentimental is the right word, but it is connected with it, but not at the moment I paint the work. It's not that I paint my wife or my, my kids from 10 years ago. Rather, I paint them now, what's going on now. And then when I look back, I think about, okay, this is about the timing. It's interesting you use the term sentimental there because i think that's one of the things that really stands out about it is that exactly that they are not sentimental oh, that they sounds... might be <laughs> they might be loaded with feeling but they are not sentimental and it seems to me that that's an incredibly difficult balance to strike as a painter right yeah i totally agree it's easy to fall into into sentimentalism into it's not a good reference but on the other hand everybody's sentimental in a way <laughs> right of course <laughs> Well, let's move on to the questions that we ask all our guests now. Who was the first artist whose work you loved? It's interesting because I, I never had particular artists that I loved. I realised recently that if I had to trace somebody, some artists, that probably would be, I don't know, I mean, just being aware that this is the important artist was probably Raymond Petitbon. Ah, right. But also because of music, I think that that was the first record, Goo, by Sonic Gill that was very important for me and then or maybe if I would try to get earlier that would be probably impressionist but back then I was a little bit immature right yeah I was intrigued though that you said that you relatively recently you rediscovered books that you read as a child Hans Christian Andersen books that featured the work of Andrei Strumio yeah, these were, oh, of course, yeah. But these are illustrations. These are not... So that's interesting because I think my, my interest in art came not from the catalogues of great artists, but rather illustrators, like a record illustrator, Raymond Petitbon or Andrzej Strumiwo, uh, Anderson's Tales. Mm. Yeah, that sticks in my, in my head. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing like, that often happens with artists is that their first access to art is not through going to a museum. It's through other cultural forms that give them access somehow, sort of give them a route into art, which is perhaps unexpected. Yeah, and this is beautiful because that, that's the way you use art. You meet it on everyday activity, like, I know, listening to something, reading something. That's pretty much happened in my case. Yeah. You mentioned that it took a while for you to sort of look back to historical artists, but which historical artists do you turn to the most today? I'm always closer to northern cult art, like, I know, like Dira, yeah. like uh, Dutch masters, Cranach. I always look at, at the paintings. I wonder if there's something in those artists, and it, it's something that hits me with your work, which is about a kind of atmosphere 
alongside the facts. We've talked about that in relation to the way that you use paint and so on. But one of the great things about Dura, for instance, is is that he's a remarkable recorder of detail, and yet he doesn't omit the kind of poetry somehow. That's an amazing knack he has. Yes, I I think that's why why I refer to to these artists because they're quite limited in terms of the you know these are not this bombastic. These are always rather poor in terms of the paint, if you compare it to the to the Italian masters. Mm-hmm. Rather distant, but these old masters are important for me because I want to know how people lived, how people behaved, how people looked. The idea about art was totally different. Right. Maybe it's not cool, but I I prefer older masters than contemporary. May, no, no, no. Maybe it's not like that. But more often, I go to the museums with with uh, with classical. <laughs> but I think there was always like a moment for you where you really started engaging with artists of the past. Yes, definitely. That was like yeah, maybe fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. And for quite and a while, I was I was trying not to look at it. Yeah, and I suppose that it's interesting in terms of how your development as a painter, it's almost like, okay, so you reached a certain level of confidence where you can go, okay, now I can sort of, maybe, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yes. But it's interesting. I think it also comes with the, with the aging, with the pace of life. I, I mean, I, I wasn't eager reader. Now I am. It's also, you know, just your heartbeat is different. That's how I find it. Yeah. And you you will sometimes quite directly engage with particular works by impressionist masters, for instance, wouldn't you? So I'm thinking of you've taken on Cezanne's still lives, you've directly confronted Suhar's bathers at Asnia, yeah. and, and it seems to me that there's a really powerful engagement with directly confronting those works and what happens in the space between them and you, if you like. Yeah, that's very interesting with Sarah because it was for me always this bothers Asenia. That was always uh, loaded with with totally different feelings, probably mm. than than most uh, viewers have. For me, it refers to my to my background, to the history of my family, also to industrialization because you can see the the, the chimneys at the background. So there is also the the neighborhood I grew up. I, I can find a very similar river that flows. Uh, the suburbs of my hometown with the chimneys at the background but they are very private very personal and that's interesting because these painting and Cezanne these are the paintings I know from almost from childhood also there are some catalogs at my home but I was a little bit familiar with, with them when mm-hmm. I was a kid yeah there's a really powerful engagement with Duggar in your work and I know you said that you admire Dugar greatly but the facts of Dugar the man and his anti-semitism were something that you also directly wanted to deal with in the work there's a work called swastika from 2014 where you have a detail of a of a Dugar nude with a swastika on the painting tell us why you wanted to do that no that was big disappointment I loved Dugar because I don't think he liked his models or maybe he was very honest that's why I liked him I also I learned what stand behind the dances that these are not the beauty of the dance but the struggle mm. that was also why i liked that he could trick the viewers that the reason why he painted uh, the motives are not that evident yeah so anyway i admired him and then i learned that he was into this conflict there was the late 19th century discussion about dreyfus case and he was against dreyfus he found uh, a plot and so he stood along with, for instance, Renoir, 
uh, with anti-Semitic claims and so on. So that was that was the reason why I put the swastika. That more more or less the the story of anti-Semitism in Europe. That's what you know just what manifested in Holocaust. Yeah, this long story of hatred of the to find the the guilty ones and so on. Yeah, but it's really interesting that you, in a way, are contending with engaging with him as an artist and engaging with him as a, a man and how the two are kind of inextricable in some way. Yeah. And still I have I have very vague feelings because I cannot stop admire him. When I look when I look at his works in the museum, it's I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's it is a huge great, dilemma with so many artists. Yeah, yeah. great artist, terrible person, probably. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you about Robert Smithson, because there are a couple of works which have a very profound engagement with some works from 1969, Asphalt Rundown and Glue Pour, and you made paintings of them. Tell me why you were interested in those, because there were any number of works by Smithson that you might have turned to. What was it about those particular works? For some reason, when I, when I studied, that was a nice resort for this painting practice. I always admired land art. I also did, while I studied, I tried to make land art pieces. It was, I think... A lot to do with uh, with the nature. I like that that the artists uh, used to go out to nature and they they used to make works with it. And Smithson was, of course, as a famous artist, was one of them. But I find him also the way he the pictures taken with him. He's sort of a star. Yeah. The, the stardom was was probably was probably part of it. But I also liked with the asphalt rundown. I think the asphalt rundown is a beautiful piece. I wish I could see it. No, no, I can find it anymore. Mm. But I went to Spiral Jetty and that was a great moment. Also then I realized when you look at the Salt Lake, it's so huge. Spiral Jetty is, is a tiny piece in this landscape. So this is, okay, you should look this direction. There is a Spiral Jetty, but Spiral Jetty is little. Salt Lake is a masterpiece. Yeah, very large artworks, but compared to nature, they're tiny. <laughs> it's nothing, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with those pieces because both Asphalt Rundown and Glue Pour are, you know, liquid materials being poured. And I wondered if there was somehow an, a curious engagement between painting and engaging with Smithson through paint with a liquid material. Not really. No, no, no. That I, I was thinking that these pieces couldn't happen these days because right. of the environment and so on, that no one could pour asphalt. Uh, or glued. So fortunately, they happened. Probably this chapter is over, and yeah, that's curious. Okay, and let's talk about contemporary. I mean, Smithson is no longer with us, but he's almost an honorary contemporary artist in some ways. He still feels contemporary. But I'm going to ask you about contemporary art now, and which artists do you admire? Mm. I can see behind you there is the catalogue of Rudolf Stingel. <laughs> that's one of them. <laughs> Gerhard Richter, probably, but it's obvious. I feel that I'm still influenced by, by these German painters. Yeah. That was Eberhard Haverkost, who passed away a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. He was a little bit older than, than me. It's interesting that you mentioned the German painters and, and you mentioned Richter, but one of the curious things that I've always found that often your work is compared to Richter, but very rarely it's compared to Polka. And it seems to me that there is a bit of an engagement with Polka there in terms of you don't often see the surreal within Richter. 
Yeah. But you obviously the, the, the that's very that's very interesting because I of course I think as an as an attitude I I, I think I have more common with Polka than Rita. If you look at the, at the broad practice of my painting art, I have a problem with with Polka. Once I saw the show in at Tate, there was a big exhibition of of, yeah. of Polka, and there was some stupid gesture with Hailing. Uh, they were they were drunk probably oh, some yes, yeah, yeah, Mor- yeah. Morocco trip, and since then I I mean um, <laughs> maybe I'm too I'm too sensitive with these gestures, but yeah, so that's something that keeps me a little bit away of both. Yeah, great yeah. artist though. Yeah, and there was an I, I read that you admire Wolfgang Tillmans a lot. Oh yeah. yes, that's that's also very interesting because I of course this is different practice, but the way of recording everyday life. I think I, f- I find it's very common. Yeah. And it's he's that a public-private thing again, that's isn't it? public-private. And I, I, I love the way he looks at reality. Whenever, whenever I'm compared to, to Dylan's, I'm proud of, it, of, the, of yeah. it, yeah. One of the ways in which I think you and he correspond very neatly is, is in scale. And I've just been looking around a series of your works and... There's a very, very large work across two canvases, for instance, you know, many metres wide. But then there's a tiny canvas in the show, a couple of tiny canvases in the show. That, to me, is something which, which is a really productive space, both for photography and painting, and in terms of how you deal with big subjects in small spaces and, and small subjects in big spaces and so on. It seems to me you seem to get a lot of pleasure out of that. Or, or, yes, or I'm never that careful about it. That's the way it is. Sometimes I use just a canvas I have stretched. And somehow it works. And I like also this process when, you know, just when you put these different works at the exhibition, there are different sizes and so on. So I, I think that also the, the process of hanging the works is a final piece. Yeah, it's almost like you're an installation artist in some yes. ways, in the way yeah. that the paintings yes. are hung. Yeah. A Brush With is sponsored by Bloomberg Connects, the arts and culture app. The free app offers access to more than 350 cultural organisations through a single download, with new guides being added regularly. Some of the most recent additions to the app are the Phoenix Art Museum in Arizona, US, and the Bartow Pell Mansion Museum in Pelham Bay Park in the Bronx, New York. Among the guides on Bloomberg Connects are several museums in which Wilhelm Sasnell has shown his work, including the Museum of Modern Art in New York and the Whitechapel Gallery and Camden Arts Centre in London. If you download the guide to Camden Arts, Centre, you'll find a comprehensive guide to its current exhibition, Bloomberg New Contemporaries, the annual survey selected by artists of recent graduates from UK art schools. It includes images of all 55 artists in this year's exhibition and audio content for more than 30 of them. To explore digital guides to all the partnering institutions, download the app today. It's available from the App Store and Google Play, and you can keep up to date by following Bloomberg Connects on Facebook, X formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. What do you have pinned to your studio wall? Nothing. I have nothing. I have just recent recent works to let them dry, and that's it. I have quite clean studio. I had images in my in my first studio. It was twenty something years ago. That was in garage. That was very tiny and dark, dirty. I had a um, Richter's work. There was some secretary woman. There was Raymond Pettibone. That was it, I think. Right. There, there was some some cutouts from newspapers, uh, but not art. 
I've known some painters to take down previous works that they've been working on in their studio, but are you quite happy to leave paintings up, as you say, to dry, but you don't mind them being there as a sort of insistent presence? <laughs> no, they, they, they are only behind. They are behind, so I don't confront them. <laughs> uh, and it's also very useful because sometimes when while, while they are drying, I approach them again and change details, change something, paint over some part. That's quite a natural process. But I rather I work on the particular piece, on one piece, and it happens when the, the painting is drying. Meanwhile, I, I come to change it a little bit. Which museum or gallery do you visit the most? That's from a very practical reason. I used to go to National Museum in Krakow. I lived in the city which is 70 kilometers east of Krakow, but it was the first museum I, I used to go by myself when I was a teenager. So this is the museum with 19th, 20th century art, quite modern. I think it's very strong preference in my education, in positive way. Then for a while I didn't go, and now I'm too busy to go there often. <laughs> yeah, but I always like to go to museums when I'm in, in the city for the first time. I visit the museums. Yeah. Which cultural experience changed the way you see the world? I think that was that was the Kumenta Ten. It was 1997. I hitchhiked with Anka, with my girlfriend back then, from Krakow to Kassel. And I think that was the first huge exhibition of contemporary art that totally changed my... I mean, the, then I realized that art is about real issues. These are not the Academy of Fine Arts in Krakow. There's some, that's another world. That was the crucial moment. That was Katerine David's documentary, yeah. wasn't it? And that was one of the first to really introduce a very broad international beyond Europe and North America art world, if you like. It seems to me that that was a, a pivotal moment for so many. Was that part of it, that it was truly international and, and the range of practices that you were confronted with must have been astonishing? Yes, but I, of course I wasn't aware of that much back then, but I remember Pavel Althammer's work, but also Kerry James Marshall, mm. his paintings. That was very, very interesting because it's somehow there were some documentaries, black and white. At that time, I used to also use 8 millimeters camera yeah. to capture very basic moments of... Uh, I didn't have video, but and still you could process negatives in Poland. So that was the moment that I, okay, I can try something with it. We should talk about your film practice because we talked exclusively about your painting up to now. And I know that you have used film in very different ways. There's the films that you make with Anchor and then there's the films you make by yourself. And, and you, you talked about having the 8mm camera there. Some of the films are, are very much like your the way that you've talked about using an iPhone today in the sense that you grab material and, and then reuse it. I'm thinking of the Elvis film, for instance, that you made where you, you shoot footage of Elvis on YouTube and that's part of the film. So you have a curious sort of language of film, a, a very sort of exploratory language, if you like. Yes, but these are two roots, I think, my interest in filming, or maybe three, because I was always closer to music than to art, I have to admit. So at the moment when... I was, I think, 17, then we had the satellite TV and I, I used to watch a lot of video clips. There was this program, 120 Minutes, that was on MTV and I loved it. That was also the introduction to alternative music and so on. So I always wanted to, to make video clips with the, with the music I, I love. And then there was this minimalist artist films. There was quite rich tradition in Poland of yeah. avant-garde film. And of course, then the, the, the huge tradition of 
films, also Polish school of films. Still, I find a lot of films as a video clips because this music is mm. very important. Which writers or poets do you return to? This is Albert Camus. As I mentioned, I was ignorant about reading for quite a long time. Anka is a reader. She's a real reader. She introduces me to books. You mentioned Camus and you've made both film and paintings in relation yes. to him. It, obviously, the book is L'Etranger or the Stranger. And of course, when you accessed Camus, you also accessed The Cure and the, yes, the Killian was... <laughs> Arab song and the video, of course. So, That's yeah. also, I think that that was very helpful because at that time, because when I learned that there was the song, the Killian Arab comes from uh, the book by Camus. It was very encouraging to read the book. <laughs> and that's, that's how pop culture, I, I don't know, I think this is, maybe it's not justice to, to say about the Killian Arab as a pop culture, but I mean, music was a, somehow sneaked, or the literature sneaked through music to my uh, choices. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back to music in a minute, but before we do that, I'd like to ask you about this new project of yours, The Assistant, which is very directly responding to the writer Robert Valser and his book, The Assistant. Why did you want to engage with that book in particular? That was a very interesting moment. I had had enough with filming. I, I was thinking that maybe I'm not, not interested in it anymore. And then I read this book. I knew only the, the short pieces by Robert Valser, that I knew instantly when I was reading the book that I want to make a film. That's also very interesting because I found this book very funny. And my wife, who knew the book before, she asked me, what are you laughing at? And I was like, <laughs> it's totally different sense of humor. That's also, I realized that we have totally different sense of humor. And anyway, so this book was very funny for me. I had an idea how to connect it with this over 100-year-old novel with these days, how to put these two periods together. I also, I, I found that this is the element of instability in young people's situation is quite common. That was quite common in that time and is quite common now. This precocious. Yes, it's somehow yeah. prescient of today. In yes, some way. Yeah. so that, and I also found the elements, I knew how to do that. So it happened very quickly. I knew that I want to put a lot of music because while, while I worked with Anka, she's very strict. She wants to be rather cool, not put too many things to be minimalistic. And I wanted to make it rather rich and open and easy. Yeah, so that's how it happened. So it sounds like you were reading it and the film suggested it to you almost as you were reading. So you were, yes. you, these images were entering your mind and you could see them as film. That was very surprising for me. I never, ever had experienced anything like that, that it was so direct. Let's talk about music then. What music or other audio do you listen to while you're working? I listen to radio stations. There is uh, Slack City. This is from Brighton. Right. I love British music. I listen to a lot of shoegaze. Yeah. That's my, I think I'm, I'm rooted there. You said that Spacemen 3, who are kind, kind of proto-shoegaze Yeah, yeah. This is, it's funny because today I was at Sister Ray record store with my daughter was 13. This is a great record store in yes. Soho in London, which is like, yeah, I'm pleased that you made a great pilgrimage there because it's Always. such a great record shop. Yeah. <laughs> 
and there was the yellow vinyl of Spaceman 3 and that's this is my beloved band yeah so mostly these but I also listen to some classic music some jazz you made an amazing portrait of Ornette Coleman yeah yeah so were you listening to Ornette Coleman when you made yeah, that portrait? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ornette Coleman, Max Roach. But yes, but I listen also to the contemporary ones, like Il Considered, there's the great, I think there's the British band. And you made a great portrait of Peaches, the musical artist. And that's a really early work. So right from the start, you know, the, the idea of connecting art and music was, was there and, and painting figures that were important to you. Yes, that's also interesting because when you ask me about masters, for me the musicians were masters. They were the idols, not artists. That's the difference. I still listen to music and I I love it. So that's maybe a natural way why I love these people. I mean, I'm always impressed by their stardom. But, you know, just to go out on the stage and this is so different practice than being an artist. Does it matter which music you listen to in terms of the different modes of making? So if you're making drawings? No. Or, no. It has nothing to do. I also listen to quite a lot of audiobooks. I heard that you were listening to Proust in search of lost time at one point when you were making I work. did. I, di- I, I went through it. Whole Proust, seven books. Yeah. I wondered if it created a kind of meditative state <laughs> as you were painting. You know? It was, yes, it was, yeah. The point is I don't have access to all the books because it's difficult to listen to English books because I have to be focused. Mm. So I listen only to translated to Polish books. Mm-hmm. What other media influence your work? There are no other medias, I think. These are all, I mean, this is the literature pretty much, yeah. I, the older I am, the more I read. Would you say that you're still responding to film because of course in early 2000s very famously you took on the great holocaust film sure making images directly in response to that but that was i think that was quite unique that i used these stills because this film was was so important in polish discussion about holocaust about polish role in in the second world war and everything it's so complex so positive that's why i used this i used the stills from the film it was interesting to me that you did a portrait of the translator from Shoah. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, she's always there. I mean, I, I, recently I made another two portraits of her because of the Landsman, the, the nature of the Landsman. He was a very difficult person. So she was mediator between him and the Polish witnesses, often peasants. And so was it out of admiration for her? Yes. Uh, yeah. Very often I find myself only as a, as a viewer of the situations, as a transmitter of things, feelings or something like that, not personally engaged. Nevertheless, someone who has to find right balance between two sides. So her position was very important for me. Yeah. Very interesting because sometimes it was, of course, when you read more about, about the film itself you learned how unfair polish language was treated by landsman i mean it wasn't translated precisely so it was like a colonization in language i'm i'm not trying to say this is the great and the most important film piece probably in holocaust but the way he treated polish language was difficult to accept and so she's between these two languages french and polish this is so interesting and then, of course, the other great Holocaust-related project you did was Mouse. Again, a very early series, five paintings responding yeah. to Art Spiegelman's extraordinary graphic novel. It seems to me that that was a really interesting 
way of addressing that historical moment, but also your own preferences, if you like. Again, you talked about illustration earlier on. It seems that there is both admiration for Spiegelman and a means of addressing the horror of that historical subject in one project, if you like. Yes, that's so interesting that you put so difficult history in comic book. And this is also interesting because my daughter, she's going to read this book school which is such a huge progress that also that it's so important that kids can read this graphic novel it's accessible for them is there a particular discipline in your daily working life that you see as an essential ritual i do sport every day yeah (laughs) it's funny because i was also completely ignorant about it until i think 15 years ago and then since then i changed it i run very healthy life right i run i i bike and i do ashtanga this what, is what's ashtanga? ashtanga is a sort of yoga this uh uh-huh. yeah okay and i'm always interested when artists talk about doing activities which are outside of their practice whether their practice kind of seeps into that so when you're running are you thinking about art or are you separating yourself from art that's very interesting because so so many ideas come then to my mind running and but mostly biking biking and i'm i also i painted quite a number of works that are uh, inspired by my biking experience and bikes themselves so there's bikes the Brompton themselves. painting yeah. I, I love it and this is also probably because when i was a kid there was this speedway club in my neighborhood you know just the racing on mm. the track for for laps and so we always pretended being uh, speedway races. And so I always, since childhood, I am a biker's lover. If you could live with just one work of art, what would it be? That's very difficult. Probably I would, I would pick The Stranger by Albert Camus, probably with this book. Because there is a sentence that someone who lived one day can spend all other days in prison. Because that's how it triggers your mind, this one day. And you can think about events of this day. So probably that would be the stranger. And lastly, what is art for? To be more sensitive. I think it's easy to understand other people's decisions, to be more empathetic, yeah. Wilhelm, thank you so much. Thank you. Wilhelm Sasnall is at Sadie Coles HQ in Kingley Street, London until the 16th of March at the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam from the 30th of March to the 1st of September and Wilhelm's film The Assistant will be screened later in 2024. And that's it for this episode. Please subscribe to A Brush With wherever you're listening and do give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Do also subscribe to our sister podcast, The Week in Art, a deep dive into the latest big art world stories, the top shows and the key issues every week. And please subscribe to The Art Newspaper at theartnewspaper.com. We're on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Tan Audio, and on Facebook, Instagram and Threads. Production, editing and sound design on A Brush With are by David Clack and the producer is Lewis Jeb. Thanks also to Daniela Hathaway. A big thank you to Wilhelm Sasnall. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. A Brush With is sponsored by Bloomberg Connects. Download Bloomberg Connects today and discover cultural institutions on demand.